I had a scary wake-up call recently when I was caught in the whirlwind of juggling so many different responsibilities while neglecting my own well-being. It was a really valuable lesson for me on how stress often lurks right beneath the surface and then it suddenly rears its ugly head and stops me in my tracks. But here's the thing, I actually think I'm pretty good at self-care. This recent experience though taught me that I was just checking off boxes rather than truly getting the rest I needed. In this week's podcast, I share what happened as well as a brief look at the societal norms and workplace expectations that contribute to the normalization of stress, particularly in the entertainment industry. I also offer up practical strategies for recognizing and addressing the warning signs of stress in our lives so we can course correct together and take care of ourselves. Hey everyone, I'm Laverne McKinnon and welcome to the Moonshot Mentor Podcast. I'm a certified career coach and grief recovery specialist. I help ambitious, driven people feel confident, empowered, and excited after experiencing a career setback. Whether it's from feeling stuck in a tough period or frustration from slow progress, I love to offer up tools and resources to revamp your path to career success. So let's jump into my scary wake-up call. It started with one minute I'm standing at the kitchen sink, and then the next thing I know, I'm waking up flat on my back on the dining room floor, disoriented, confused. How did I get here? That Monday didn't start out awesome. It'd been raining for a few days, and overnight it was an all-out storm. LA rains have become a really big trigger for me because our house has a wrecked roof, lots of water damage, and a big mold issue. So every time it rains, I I worry about new damage and when the insurance company is going to come through for us. Most of that night, I I was lying in bed, listening to the rain, like just hammering the roof, and it was just like echoing through the entire house. And I'm not sure why I was waiting for the alarm to go off. I should have just gotten up to see which rooms were flooded again. When I finally got up around 6 a.m., we did have leaks, but it wasn't as bad as previous times, so few. I was mopping up the water with old towels when the power went out around 6.30. Now, outages have been another ongoing problem of living where I live in Laurel Canyon. So for 20 years, it's all been fine, but around 2020, it seems like we started getting, like like being literally in the dark every few months because of these outages. And while living in the hills is quite beautiful and I'm incredibly grateful for how peaceful it is, It also means that we have poor cellular service because no power means no Wi-Fi, which means I can't effectively use Zoom. And I had client Zoom meetings that day starting at 7.30. So I really reluctantly canceled the first one because I hate to cancel, but I didn't know what to do about the other nine Zoom meetings I had that day. Fortunately, my husband, Chuck, and I share a studio in downtown Los Angeles. He uses a space for his um, work as an artist, and I I love to host career-related workshops and pop-up events. So I packed up my computer and a notebook, like lickety-split, I grabbed an apple, and I hit the road to head to the brewery artist lofts. It it took about, um, I don't know, it took like an hour to get downtown because, of course, the weather and frenzied L.A. drivers, but I still had about five minutes before my next Zoom. Since I left in such a rush from the house, I didn't have breakfast, so I started going through the cupboards, and yikes, there was nothing to eat at the studio except my gigantic Envy apple that I had grabbed on the run. Okay, that's fine. The work day went off without exception, except for the part where I had double booked myself three different times. 
I tell you, if I could fire myself for being a bad assistant, I would, but I just don't have the cash flow to hire someone to replace my sorry ass. So I pulled out my ninja scheduling skills and was able to rebook everyone for that same day. But then that meant that I had absolutely no downtime. It was back to back to back. So by the time I got home around seven o'clock, I was really depleted from a lack of food and burning through a lot of mental and emotional energy. Chuck, what a godsend, had prepared my favorite comfort meal of chicken, rice, and broccoli. Eating, it was a strange experience and a sensation. I knew that I was hungry, but I didn't feel hungry, but I still ate everything on my plate. And then I took a really lovely hot shower to wash away the stress of the day got into my jammies, and I went to the kitchen to chat with Chuck and my eldest daughter, Mitzi. It was really nice to just have an easy catch-up, and as I relaxed more, I got sleepy, and it was time to hit the hay. I stood up from our little Ikea kitchen table, and I had a rush of lightheadedness, which it does happen from time to time, and typically the lightheadedness goes away after a few moments, but not that night. I was acutely conscious of losing my peripheral vision. I took some deep breaths to clear my head and I walked over to the kitchen sink where I placed my hands on the kitchen counter to steady myself. The desire to go to bed morphed into, I need to get to bed and lie down. At the same time, I knew I wasn't going to be able to walk on my own. I thought maybe I could crawl. At that point, I laid my head onto my hands, believing that I just needed another moment to push away that creeping darkness. I... I had a very, very distant recollection of hearing a loud bang. And then the next thing I remember, I was trying to name what I was seeing. Oh, that's the ceiling. That's a wall. Oh, that's the wall of our dining room table. Oh, Chuck and Mitzi are talking to me. I hear their voices, but what are they saying? I had fainted. Chuck and Mitzi filled in those one to two minutes I had lost. They saw me stand up. They heard me say I was lightheaded. They say, saw me walk to the sink. They saw me go pale. Then they saw me starting to crumble. That's when the loud bang occurred. I had turned, I had, like, it turned out I had dropped my water bottle, which I wasn't even aware I was holding. They both grabbed me before I could hit the floor and tried to walk me to the bedroom. My legs and feet did not cooperate and they dragged on the ground. And when my head and my chest slumped, they eased me to the ground and I immediately woke up and said, hi, which I don't remember at all. They helped me get to bed and we all agreed that I hadn't fueled my body properly that day. Combining that with all of my energy going to digesting a really big meal and a relaxing hot shower, it just took the wind out of my sails. I only realized that I shouldn't trivialize the situation when my very Zen husbands admitted that that was scary and Mitzi, my calm, cool rock star, suggested I consult my doctor. I did call my sister, Teresa, the next day, who's a nurse. She said low blood sugar was the culprit, but also highlighted how much stress I'd been experiencing. I, I, guess, I guess I knew that, but it hadn't really clocked because I engage in a lot of self-care, rest and relaxation, which should counterbalance the stress. I'm gonna list it out for you. I typically get seven to eight hours of sleep per night, and frequently nine hours. I exercise at Orange Theory or a hotel gym when I travel like three to four times a week and I hike frequently. I eat well and typically on a regular basis, I'll have like granola, yogurt, and berries for breakfast, usually leftovers for lunch. So like a lean protein, a grain, a veggie. I have an apple as a snack 
and then a decent early dinner around six, and that's several hours before I go to sleep. I do meditate, but not on a consistent basis. That's a goal for 2024. I journal almost every day. Massages and facials make it into a monthly rotation. My husband and I make it a point to watch movies or shows together a few nights every week while we consume Trader Joe's movie popcorn. Highly recommend. So clearly, there's a lot of pride in my routines because I just listed them out in detail here. However, I had a huge epiphany in sharing this story with my therapist. I've been treating self-care and rest and relaxation as a to-do item. You can see it in the list I just made. At the risk of embarrassing myself, I have a detailed to-do. Okay, I have to say this again because I am really embarrassed. I have a detailed daily to-do list where I track everything. What doesn't get done gets rolled to the next day. So when I go to Orange Theory, that gets checked off along with watching a favorite TV show or reading for pleasure or giving myself an at-home facial. While I enjoy these things, I ought, like I actively schedule them and then I mark them off when I've accomplished them. Notice the use of the word accomplished. Rest and relaxation are not things to be earned, deserved, or achieved. And yet, that's how I've been treating them and feeling really good about myself along the way. Big whoops. What's happened as a result is that I've lost the ability to fully recognize my stress. Part of that is because I've been religiously checking off boxes of self-care, convincing myself that I'm doing rest right while skipping actually listening to my body. The other part of not being able to fully recognize stress is due to social constructs. Stress has been normalized and internalized as part of my upbringing and my work in the entertainment industry. Now that normalization may be true for other industries, it's just most definitely true for entertainment and it's the industry that I know. So here are some examples of common normalized work and career expectations that are significant stressors. The first is working for free under the guise of doing spec work. And this isn't just about writers or or actors having to do a ton of work to audition. As a producer, I constantly work for no money and give away my creativity, expertise, and relationships with the hope it will lead to a paycheck someday. Another example are internships. And that's been going on a long time as an institutionalized form of free work, And while there have been changes and advances to the system, it still exists. So another abuse of that system is requiring interns to receive school credit for their internship, which is a fee that they have to pay for. So not only are they out of pocket for tuition, they're also not receiving frequently a wage or a fair wage. And a lot of times these interns must use their own computers, phones, and vehicles to perform company business without any type of remuneration. Okay, the second big stressor is work for little pay. It's kind of a privileged hazing technique that's supposed to prove people have the stamina and passion to go the distance. I know so many folks in entertainment level entry jobs who are being subsidized by their families or have second jobs because their gig simply doesn't pay their bills. This is complicated by the dangling carrot that if the employee does well enough, then they will get promoted. But they have to prove they're worthy of promotion by doing additional work outside of the scope of their day-to-day responsibilities. This this additional work is not paid. It's, It's just like seen as the cost of receiving an opportunity. 
So they're working nights and weekends in an attempt to get recognized and bumped up. And of course, both internships and low-paying jobs deprive people from low-income families from opportunities to enter, enter the entertainment industry. Okay, finally, receiving unsolicited criticism and feedback with an open heart and open mind. This is an expectation that's a huge stressor. Everyone has an opinion and is so free to give it, but you need to, like, like people need to, like, ask for the feedback. You just don't randomly give it. And it's very, very stressful. So I know that this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of stressors, but I bring up these three examples because they're so, so common. As a result, people are stressed out, worrying about finances, career trajectory, loss of stamina and passion, screwing up and missing their chance at advancement. Sadly, there's an unspoken and well-known belief that if you can't take it, then you have to get out. Talk about a big stressor. All this to say that a survival mechanism for many people, including me, is to ignore the stress. Inner dialogues may sound something like this. It happens to everyone. It's part of my job. It's part of the industry. So I'll just deal with it by ignoring it. I'm actually taking action to de-stress. It's all going to be fine. However, our bodies will not allow us to ignore stress. So if you're experiencing any of the following symptoms, your body may be telling you that you are stressed out. Physical pain. I have a client who gets like a really sharp pain in her shoulder during stress spikes. Another experiences migraines. Another has her back go out. Inflammation, breathlessness, brain fog, dizziness, vertigo. This list is nowhere, nowhere near comprehensive, and it doesn't include aspects of mental and emotional health. So what to do and not do. I've said this a couple times. Listen to your body. When the stressors become too much, your body kicks into survival mode and forces you to slow or stop. Don't wait until you faint or an excruciating pain. Small annoyances like a tight jaw or shoulders up to your ears or achy hands or feet may be signs from your body that the stress levels are rising. So please do notice and name your stressors and don't consider the stressors, the symptoms uh, as a problem. My fainting was not the problem. It was a symptom of not fueling my body properly and being overwhelmed with stress. Please consider whether the source of stress is something that you can remove from your life. Don't tough it out or compare yourself to others. Please exercise healthy and effective coping strategies. Now, like my eating a bag of Trader Joe's popcorn is weak sauce on the coping front. I acknowledge that. Don't treat rest as something that needs to be done or checked off. That's sort of the opposite of rest. Now, here's a hard truth. Sometimes you can't remove the stressor. I can't stop the rain from falling. What I can do is notice that when I see the weather report predicting rain, check in with my body. Yep, I'm feeling tension in my neck and my jaw. I'm stressed that the rain will cause more damage to our not well home. With that information, I can now talk to my husband about the stress and come up with an action plan. We brainstorm practical, tactical strategies to protect our home, and I practice breathing techniques to release the tension. At the time of this writing of, of this particular podcast and this piece, I'm about five days post my fainting incident. I'm doing okay physically. I have experienced some lightheadedness a few more times, but I haven't fainted. So I'm being much more like conscious of fueling my body and taking breaks. 
I'm employing some new breathing techniques and I've set a timer for midday to remind myself to check in with my body and maybe, you know, take a couple of minutes to meditate. I do have to acknowledge I hate to stop my momentum during the workday, but after I meditate, I can usually feel a difference in my mind and my body, but it takes a lot of effort for me to open up the Headspace app. Bottom line, rest is not a to-do item. It's an essential part of our well-being that often gets overlooked in the hustle and bustle of life. My recent experience of fainting served as a wake-up call, reminding me that stress cannot be ignored or pushed aside indefinitely. And as I reflected on the factors contributing to my fainting episode, I realized that I'd been treating self-care and relaxation as tasks on a checklist rather than vital components of my overall health. The normalization of stress in our society, particularly within industries like entertainment, can lead us to dismiss our body's warning signs and push ourselves beyond our limits. But ignoring stress does not make it disappear. It manifests in physical symptoms and affects our mental and emotional well-being. Instead, we need to listen to our bodies, name our stressors, and prioritize rest as a non-negotiable aspect of self-care. While we may not always be able to eliminate the stressors in our lives, we can develop healthy coping mechanisms and strategies to mitigate their impact. So let's join forces and shift our perspective on rest from a checkbox to an essential act of self-preservation, honoring our bodies and minds with the care and attention they deserve. So that's it for today. Head on over to moonshotmentor.com or my Substack, Moonshot Mentor, for journal questions to help deepen your understanding and relationship with stress, rest, and self-care. I'd really love to hear more about how stress has impacted you and what you do to manage it. So drop me a comment. You can also visit me at moonshotmentor.com where you can find links to my uh, all of my social and how to work with me. And I'd also like to give a special uh, big, big thank you to Lin Chen for the video and audio editing. You can find her on social at Ms. Lin Chen. And if you enjoy what you hear, I would be so appreciative if you could subscribe to my podcast. It would help me achieve my moonshot of 5,000 subscribers. Thank you so, so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.